Hey there, my name is Morgan Roberts. Welcome back to the Baby Got Backend podcast. This is a podcast that is about running small creative businesses and sometimes all the boring stuff that we've got to do and sometimes about the cool, amazing creative stuff that we have to do but and also the stuff that sort of sits in the middle of that that's neither here nor there. Um, is it overwhelming or underwhelming? But do we ever have whelmed? Is anyone ever just whelmed? I don't know. Think about it. That's the question for the day. This week, really awesome episode with Bellamy Hunt, uh, otherwise known as Japan Camera Hunter. Um, a bit of a brief about Bellamy. He literally finds cameras for people awesome vintage film cameras generally and he's built an entire brand sort of around that it's not everything that he does but he collaborates with different people and does a whole bunch of stuff but that's kind of primarily what he does now you might think how is that relevant to either photography or wedding photography or weddings or whatever sort of the other spaces that this podcast has ventured into in the past well give it a listen i think it's really interesting to see how he's created a little niche for himself in that space so check it out this is a cool episode um Something that I just want to mention at the top, this podcast grew out of my desire to make a workshop about this kind of stuff that we talk about on the podcast called Baby Got Backend. It's about the sort of running the back end of your business. Now, the podcast has evolved into covering a bunch of different things, but something that I'm really passionate about is file management. And finally, I am doing the Baby Got Backend backups workshop. It's going to be in Brisbane in February, 23rd of Feb at Newstead Studios. I'm going to put all the details in the show notes, so that'll be all there. But yeah, it's going to be great. I'm so excited to finally be having this workshop live and finish writing it and do it and work together with people to fix all their broken shit and make everyone's heads less, you know, risk at r- less risk of exploding heads in <laughs> this space, <laughs> mine included. So if you're interested in that, jump in. It's in the show notes. It's going to be cool. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Yagara and the Turbal people. Sovereignty was never ceded. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Baby Got Backend. My name's Morgan Roberts. This is the podcast that sort of has an identity crisis every time we record an episode. And I, I think it's still about small creative businesses um, and how we manage to do those things either by ourselves or with a small team. Um, that's not as catchy as what I've previously said, but that's okay. You can email me and complain um, or write in the comments after this. Anyway, hello, welcome back to Baby Got Back End. Today I'm joined by Bellamy Hunt, a.k.a. the famous Japan Camera Hunter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um so I think I think this is an easy question to start, but I mean, photography. How, how when, like when did you first pick up a camera? When did you first go? Hey, this is fun! Like this is a cool thing to um, do. Well, the, I think the first time I picked up and thought it was fun and a cool thing to do, I was probably about ten or eleven. Prior to that, I had handled a camera and I didn't think it was fun because it was just me. <laughs> got in the way of climbing trees, jumping over streams, that sort of stuff. You know, um, is that someone else putting a camera in your face? Yeah, basically, yeah. Like, no, just like no, I'm alone. <laughs> um, but I think around uh, ten or eleven, I borrowed one of my mum's cameras and was like, "That's fun," but I didn't see the results from it. I think the first time I really sort of actually took made an effort was I was about twelve or thirteen, um, and I pinched my dad's SLR. 
uh, Minolta, which I um, actually have on the desk over there still. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, and, and it's still working. It's got a roll of film in it now. Um, wow. And I picked that up and I took some pictures with it and loved it and then kept it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. mean, why not? I mean, that's such a legacy thing. I've got my dad's um, old XA, which yeah. with the flash. So I yeah. just, it's, it's such a great thing to just have. I don't really use it a lot, but it's just like you put on the shelf. Yep. Um, in terms of, in terms of like from there, did you, did you ever sort of, did you ever do it for work or is it purely become yeah. a hobby? No, I'm, um, I studied at uh, college. I studied mm-hmm. photography and then I went on and I studied <laughs> foolishly. I decided to branch out and study jewelry and silversmithing. <laughs> I'm a fully trained silversmith. Um, ah. And um, I continued to do photography because I was taking photos of the work that I was making, the jewelry and the sculpture and that sort of stuff. Um, and then I did various photo jobs. I worked as a jobbing photographer, you know, I did headshots and portraits yeah. and, and, and weddings and all sorts of stuff like that. I hated it. Um, mm. It sapped my enjoyment of photography. Mm. Um, but that was part-time, you know, it was never a full-time gig. It was something to just maintain my habit. You know? mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, An excuse uh, to be able to get that lens that you want. Yeah, that yeah. Um, and I kept on doing that. Um, when I came to Japan, I was still doing that sort of thing as well. I was doing odd jobs. I was doing skateboarding photography and all sorts of things. Just um, And also personal work. And that was what actually got me uh, a gig working for a Japanese company. And I didn't work for them as a photographer <laughs> initially. Uh-huh. Um, I did later, but initially I was, they just gave me a job sweeping the floors, (laughs) (laughs) um, because you have to do your apprenticeship there. You have to prove your worth. That's right. And then later on, you know, after doing that for a year or two or a year or so, I was allowed to start fiddling around with the Hasselblads and phase ones and doing high end product stuff. And, Mm. oh, you can be trusted with a broom. Here's a camera. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a, th- that's some sort of, that's some promotion. Yeah. Um, when did, when did you move over to Japan? Like, um, it was about after studies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was traveling. I left the UK, I think in 2002, um, with the intention of going away for a couple of years and then going back to mm. work as a photographer. I had got a, a gig lined up to be a, a studio assistant for quite a well-known photographer in London. And then the opportunity came to travel and, and I said to him, ah, oh, well, you know, could I come back? Um, and yeah, I've got, I want to go traveling. He said, yeah, go, yeah, go and enjoy yourself. Mm. And, um, yeah, I never came back. <laughs> never <laughs> went back. Um, a, this is a seamless. That's a, it's a frequent story that I think you hear about. Yeah, all over the place. Like, I, so yeah. I went to Australia, worked there for a while, did some photography work there as well. Um, went to New Zealand, worked there for a year, and then um, I thought I want to continue traveling. And people had said, you know, good way of earning money is to go to Japan, go and teach mm. English. It's easy money. Mm. Did that and ended up staying. Yeah, you know, mm. um, found a niche, I guess. 
Well, I feel like that's an that's a pretty good. That word seems to come up a lot, and when I was when I I thought to ask you to come on and talk to this on this podcast because I think that what you do is you've you found a niche inside a niche, and I find that fight mm. quite fascinating as just a a thing. Even identifying that, I just think is a, a thing that I'd like to talk on um, because yeah. I talk you know we talk a lot about this podcast in actually just running our business, but um, and and sort of the systems, and that's kind of how this started but just more broadly i feel like conversations around how you even identify those markets and like find that you just fall into them or like whatever however it happens i just find conversations about all those different things that we do in our work quite fascinating mm. um but the fact that you have found a niche inside a niche um i mean when you meet people on the street or when you like try and explain what you do what what do you how do you try and give the elevator pitches of what you actually do? Uh, generally, people ask me what I do, and for the most part, I just say I sell antiques. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. yeah because if I say I sell rare classic cameras, they just go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah they just have no, no idea at all what I'm talking about. Um, so I just usually say I, I sell antiques, or I'm in some cases I sell, uh, you know, watches or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, but if it's somebody who is, you know, they've got a camera around the neck or I know that they're into photography cameras, mm. I, I, I say I uh, source and sell rare classic antique film cameras um, um, and film and I promote film photography. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's it depends. You have to kind of tailor the answer, really. Yeah. Because depending on somebody's knowledge of what you do, um, cause you know, I could still say to somebody who's got a camera on their neck, oh, I sell classic film cameras and they're like, they still make those. And no, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. That's the, most people don't. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> yeah. In fact, you want to, you want a 35 millimeter film camera brand new today. Yeah. You, you're looking at basically buying an MA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, effectively now. Yes. Now that the F6 has been discontinued, unless you want to start talking about Alpers and stuff, but you're talking. Oh yeah. But 35 mil stuff. Or large format. You know, there's a lot of large format cameras still being made, but mm. 35 mil, no. No. Um, I Did you, was something, the thing is that um, with your, ex, like your experience of photography, I feel like, you know, you've been around long enough that it's not, that film was not something that you sort of discovered late in the game. Like I still feel like yeah. as a, especially starting early with photography, like you grew up, obviously you grew up with film, mum's shoving the camera in your face, you picked up the camera and that sort of thing. You weren't someone yeah. that has come from come to film after being in digital and being yeah. a digital native and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Has that, should it, is that changing? Has that really shaped how you've viewed it instead of it's just this nostalgia? It's not trying to go backwards. It's, yeah, it's I think so, because it's just been a continuation for me, mm. you know. Um, I didn't stop shooting film. I always had a film camera. When I mm. came to Japan, I was shooting film until I'd been here for a few years because I felt, you know, I saw when digital cameras first came out, I was like, they, they look rubbish. I'm not spending <laughs> yeah. money on that. They look rubbish. Yeah. And it wasn't until later, you know, like uh, the Nikon D100s and stuff that I actually got one 
Mm. But even then I had a film camera with me, but having a digital camera was great for work, you know? Um, So I started doing that, but I was still shooting film camera personally. So when I started working for um, the company in Tokyo, they had a rental department, which dealt with all of the high end digital stuff. Mm. And so my boss, who was a passionate film shooter, actually said to mm. me, like, you don't need your camera anymore. You can sell that. You can just, if you need a digital camera, you can just borrow one of ours. You can just rent one of ours. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. So I could then, you know, so if I needed a digital camera, I had one. But at um, that point, then I could just spend all of my money on shooting film. <laughs> Stay yeah. broke, shoot film. I mean, you yeah. know, it's a... It's a it's a flippant hashtag, but it's uh, it's based in truth. And, um, and it really helped that my my direct boss, like my manager, he was a complete film geek still at that time. This is going back 12, 10, 12 years ago. So he wanted you to just have you know invest in your personal yeah, insurance, like have like, your. And yeah. he had a Leica MP, and he was like, "You really need to get one of these." And I was like, "I'll never be able to get one of those. I'll never be able to get one of those." Um, well, yeah, I got one, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, yeah, he sort of, he pushed me onwards. So yeah. That yeah, cool. But I didn't, yeah. So for me, it was a continuation. It's never been something that I stepped back into. It's, it's just always, it's been a constant. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think that shows because you, you know, such, like the major part of your brand basically in japan camera hunter is that it's about film it's it's about you know you um you've got film products that you sell you you sell the film cases which i just absolutely love the shit out of like they're just the best i've got about eight of them um i'll put some links to all this stuff in the show notes because i'm as anyone who knows me knows that i'm a massive photography geek as well as being a you know a professional but i love doing it for me and I love shooting film and I love the process of film. Um, but just everything that is around film is just a core in your brand. Well, I've, I think I've, you know, I have worked quite hard to sort of develop it as a brand, mm. as a standalone brand, you know? Mm. Um, so it's more recognizable and it's instantly synonymous with film. You know, um, because I wanted it to be able to encompass different things and not just be restricted, mm. you know, to, to just doing one thing, mm. uh, which is why I've worked on collaborations with people. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. So that, that's been quite important for me because I want to, you know, I want to show a lifestyle, I guess. <laughs> mm. Mm. But this is, I, I but that would suggest I have some sort of major grand plan or which really isn't the case. You know, I <laughs> kind of do everything by, by the fact that, well, I really like that. So I'm going to do that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it strikes me. The thing that I find so fascinating is that I, I mean, I found, I don't know when you first came on my radar. It was around about the time when, Maybe even before it was back when I used to work at Crumpler, um, a bad company, and I knew Simon. And Simon, I think, had Simon knows me. 
Simon knows you, and so yeah, and so like I know all those guys in Australia. This is this is getting a bit niche here, but um, yeah. Oh, I've, I've been seeing Camera Club guys. I've I've Sorry? been I went and visited when I was working for the company. Oh, I was really? This trip to Crumpner HQ. Oh, that's so I've cool. Those guys, I've you know I've had dinner with those guys. I've been out yeah. with them. That's so great. Yeah. Um, I I texted I texted Simon. Um. I might edit this out. It doesn't matter. I texted Simon when I was like, oh, I think I want an FM3A. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see, see if Bellamy's got one. Oh, he's got one. Oh, fuck. That's, that's really good. And he's like, yeah, just do it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just just do it. You know, it's good. I'm like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's another story. But um, I find the thing, the thing that fascinates me, and like you talk about collaborations, but um, – even just the fact that people will discover you through those different channels, like is there, you say that there's no grand master plan, um, but is there some kind of, I guess, philosophy that you have around marketing Japan Camera Hunter? I mean, it for me, it, it was a, a relationship that started very organically because it was just, I was into this sort of shit and you made and dealt with and was into all this sort of shit. And so we were bound to find each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I've always sort of worked on it being organic. I've never paid for ads or, you know, done anything like that. Um, I've done everything just because I enjoy doing it. Mm. And so it, if that encompasses other things and not just cameras and not just photography and film photography, then so mm. be it. You know, if it covers watches and bicycles and and clothes and things that I like, then, you know, so I try and make that part of this this uh, universe this ecosystem mm. whatever it may be and i think that perhaps it's uh, i guess it becomes more organic because i'm not paying for ads it's less contrived it's me mm. it's me mm. speaking about what i like and mm. perhaps that resonates with some people yeah mm. um i know it great some people <laughs> but, <laughs> but it does resonate with some people um and i've always tried to keep it that way um which is why some people have said to me i should sort of step away from the day-to-day -day aspects of the business and, and focus more on big plans uh i always felt that it was important that people wanted to speak to me mm. you know they wanted to buy something from me not from mm. a, a, just somebody who works at jch mm. you know i think obviously in the future, if it got bigger, I, I might have to delegate some of those things. But um, I like the fact that I can speak to people, speak to my customers, you know, mm. um, and that helps develop that uh, relationship, which helps spread, uh, I guess, a good word. A good yeah. Vibe. Yeah, totally. Um, I think that this, like, that's, that, that's a hundred percent accurate. Like when I got in touch with you, I was like, yeah, I, I know that it's, I know that this will be, I know that this will end well um because you can see how you care that's i think the hugest that that's the largest part so um, i have i have some standards you know um mm. and that's really really important to me and i don't think that uh often it gets emphasized well that i am bound when somebody contacts me and when somebody pays me if i can't find something i'm i'm still duty bound to reply to them and say to them why i can't or you know, I'm bound to reply to all of my mails, but 
if I am employed by somebody to find something or somebody wants to buy something from me, I am duty bound to give them the best service I possibly can. Mm. And to not send them something or to, to not take care of them or to not have aftercare, after sale service would be uh, morally irresponsible, mm. I think, personally. And I know, so I know a lot of businesses don't think that way. It's just business. But for me, it, it's more than that. Uh, and mm. this is what was taught to me in Japan. You know, you have a, a duty of care. Mm. When somebody mm. buys something from you or if somebody asks you to do something or pays you to do something, you have a duty of care and you have to carry it through. And to mm. not do so would be uh, a character fault on your part. Mm. You know, and that was drummed into me, <laughs> which is why I reply to every mail, um, which is, you know, I have to, I keep on top of it. I make sure I do my best to make sure my customers are happy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I do you how often do you get out and because I think the danger is the danger with having and doesn't matter it's something that you do where you're where you're uh working in you know I mean you describe it as you sell antiques but in terms of you're working in a really bespoke camera Mm. in, in the equipment side but in terms of being in that space and having that that your own passion for personal photography mm. um i know that not just in your situation but people who photograph as their job as their main income or whatever it is somewhere is is striking that balance between how do i not get bored of this and how do i not burn out the fact that i just love photography um how do you make yeah. sure that that doesn't happen um yeah the, the so I'm very, very geeky. Mm. So cameras, I'm not going to get burned out on. That's yep. just not going to happen. Um, yep. The photography side is a bit different, which is why I generally keep my personal photography away from uh, the public view. Mm-hmm. And that's that compartmentalization. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps me. Uh, keep something for myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think if I was to, to just put everything out there online, it, it would very quickly become less of a passion for me. Yeah. You know, and also that I, I feel like I, because I used to put a lot of work online and, and a lot of people, once I started getting popular with JCH became very, very openly critical of, my photography and i i think Mm. that also helped me go well online's not necessarily such a nice place you know no um and this photography is for me it's not for them i don't need to seek validation for that so yeah i had to keep that sort of separate and that's how it helps me yeah yeah totally um i find that a lot of people yeah people will come up with their own frameworks to do that um for me that framework is literally shooting film although then that's also a thing that is brought into i mean the other day i did corporate headshots and there was about uh, and it was a really nice location with beautiful window light and so i busted out the rz67 and shot a roller tri-x and like i know that they're going to love that because that's really quite unique Mm. 
uh, and I'll bring the, I'll bring that camera to a wedding. I'll bring it to a family shoot, but um, I'll also photograph the kids with that too, but it's not something I feel like there's an overlap there, but it's not, it's not a hundred percent in one camera and hundred percent in the other. Um, I feel like yeah. that's a way that you can use that uniqueness to add something to your professional self, but like, I'm not going to, but, but by the same token, I photograph maybe one roll of film a week of the kids and yeah. it's many of those shots. No one sees most of that. Like I might post a good one every few weeks or whatever. Um, yeah. But the bulk of that is not seen by anyone and that's my way of doing that. And I like that there's no hard and fast rule to that. It's just yeah. this feels right. This is the way. And then in terms of just other photos of the kids, like we love using um, iCloud photo library and sharing it on a private gallery instead of putting right. 50 million photos of the kids online and stuff. It's just like on Facebook and you know, fuck that, you know, um, yeah. not nice, but yeah. finding your own little system. Yeah. And it was also, there was something that also drove me. Um, when I first started this business, I had, uh, I met quite a well-known camera trader and he said to me, he said straight to my face, he looked me in the eye and he said, I give you 10 years and you will be sick of cameras you will never want to touch another one you will hate them i know <laughs> i do uh, and i was like huh you know and it's been 10 years and i'm not and i think the main reason for that was he went into the business with money as his goal mm. that was his direction for going into the business and that was not my direction for going into the business when i first started it was just a way, it was another way for me to be able to have the cameras that I wanted. <laughs> I didn't expect it or plan for it to get that big. It just sort of happened. It organically happened. But initially when I started out, it was just another way for me to buy cameras for myself. Yep. And, and so, yes, now whilst now it has become a, a business, and yes, I do for the money, I need to pay my salaries and I need to pay... Uh, uh, my staff salary and um, but you know I still have that feeling that it's still something you know I do because I love it yeah I'm very lucky yeah but you know you've worked hard for this and it's not it's not something that ha happened quickly no at least having the staff I, I I'm, I'm interested in that when when did you decide that the workload was too much for just you to do oh that and was like four or five years ago Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was already struggling with the paperwork at that point. I was, and I was getting help, but it wasn't enough. And that, at that point I was like, okay, we need, and we need more help with the paperwork. And then it became, we need, need more help with photography and design, yeah. and making videos. And, and now we need more help with marketing and PR and, and, sales and management and I, I don't know i don't know this stuff i i cannot do all of these things yeah um and so i've found through experience that if if you can't do it pay somebody who can that it, yeah. it will return dividends what does your average week look like is there an average week there's not really an average week uh it's a lot of it is just answering mails. Okay, so pre-COVID average week was answering mails, packing stuff up, um, and finding cameras. 
and 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 dealing with customers' orders and mm. working on new products. Um, Post COVID, it's been find customers, find customers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and then try and convince them to buy something. But also, yeah. um, we started working on video stuff for YouTube yeah. because we needed to do something, not only do something with our time, but sort of uh, create more awareness, bring people to the site. Um, so now uh, week is a little bit different. Now there'll be start off of the week with dealing with males and then perhaps shoot a video. Um, and again, paperwork, it's office. There's a lot of time in the office, but in the last six to eight months, I had a health scare um, and I had to change the way I lived. I was working too much. I was spending too much time in the office and not mm. getting enough exercise, not eating properly. Mm. And so now we try and hold shorter hours um, mm -hmm. and there's a lot more freedom. I like to go cycling. So we like to just go out mm. um, to take pictures. I think, you know, I've heard it's street photography is great for exercise. Yeah, it's not a good schedule. So, you know, it's a nice afternoon and I don't have much going on. I'll be like, yeah, let, I'm going for a ride. I'm going for yeah. something, you know? Yeah, totally. Super um, important. Because I think, you know, having that sort of balance or having more time uh, to, to work on yourself, especially in these times, it's really important. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Is that... Was that was that a? Um, I mean, you've been in Japan a long time now. Yeah. Was, was that was that was it, was it a case of the, is the culture there just like that work or is or is that a stereotype that I'm pulling out there too? No, it's culture here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's this, but also, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on when you're a business owner. You want to make sure everybody's taken care of. So you mm. put in the hours and you put in perhaps longer hours than you should. Mm. And it's very easy to, to, to just not look after yourself. Mm. You know, uh, sitting in front of a desk all day is not good for you anyway, but sitting in front of a desk all day when now you have this crazy news coming in from all over the world and you look at the stock market and the, the, the dollar rates and stuff and you're like oh my god and then you're not getting any orders because corona has kicked off and you just you screw yourself to a wall mm. and it drives you nuts so you have to step away you have to do something else mm. um it's not good for your health you're going to be more productive by taking that time off um, yeah, and i'm still learning i'm better than i was but i'm, I'm not perfect <laughs> I'm yeah. still learning how to improve and we're still, uh, I think the thing that stresses us out now is that we, because of this uncertain future with Corona, we are uncertain about how to schedule our plans. Yep. Yep. What we were going to do, we are unable to do and we don't know when we will be able to. And it's also a risk to invest money in a new product in case you can't have Bring a that to fruition or, or something, yeah. you know, yeah, totally. That's it's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? Like yeah. you, you can't do something, and then you have the anxiety. It's like as you said, yeah. you not. It's not only that you can't do it. Yeah, it's that you feel shit that you can't do it, and yeah. you're worried about 
when you can do it. It's like um, we had these, um, this apparel line. We worked with a company in Japan called Glam. Mm. And we were working on it towards the end of last year. And we were all set. And we were like, yeah, we're going to release it in sort of February, March. And we did just exactly when everything kicked off. Yeah. And it was like, you've got to be joking. Just, oh, could the timing be any worse? Mm. <laughs> Total mm. nightmare. Unable to do any PR on it. So, What's the situation right now over in Japan? Like, what's the... <laughs> there's new well is there uh, the some sort of lockdown like what's getting worse but the government doesn't seem to actually be doing anything about it right okay there's no lockdown so the olympics is going to be held in japan next year by hook or by crook they All are right. going to hold it no matter what yeah they can't afford not to it's already cost mm. much money mm. um and so i think there's going to be a lot of piecemeal milk toast excuses mm. about how they can do certain things. But at the moment, uh, you still can't get into the country. The country is still effectively on lockdown. Um, from international arrivals, from but international. in terms of locally, um, domestically. Locally, they've had a go-to travel campaign. They've been encouraging people to travel and they've been offering vouchers and money <sighs> off and go to eat and go to drink. Oh, right? wow. And they did that all summer, and now they've got outbreaks, and they're like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Hold on, you what? <laughs> you know. So That's... now they're telling the bars in Tokyo to close at 10 p.m. when they've had all summer where they've just been open. It doesn't make any sense. But, yeah, so I think my situation is a bit different from the average because my – house is about seven minutes from my office i don't come in contact with other people on the way there mm. um and so we just stay in the office you know we we stay away from the center of tokyo generally mm. Mm. um we kind of distance ourselves mm. and we wear masks all the time everybody wears mm. masks so mm. just a non-issue mm. oh yeah I mean, but that was part of that. That's, that's so much part of the culture already. Like, if you're sick, yeah. you wear a mask. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's just uh, not a thing. This was not a thing here. Yeah. There's hand sanitizer everywhere anyway. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It hasn't been that much different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a more extreme version of it. <laughs> I mean, I got sick at the start of when Corona kicked off, which also changed things for me because I can't, because of um, my illness, I'm, unable to eat a lot of things. And mm -hmm. so it, that stopped me from going to restaurants. So, yeah. you know, so that didn't, you know, I was like, well, I can't go anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that hasn't really changed my life all that much. I think my lifestyle hasn't changed a great deal. Yeah. Other than more exercise, which is great. Well, I mean, happy days. Yeah. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to go back to the start. You said that it sort of grew out of that, that JCH grew out of you just wanting to buy the cameras that you wanted. Yeah. Um, do you remember like once you started doing that, like, did you, did you start having a bit of a collection that you were like, this is for me and, and do you still have that or have you pared it down? Like what's your personal um, relationship with what you so would want to keep? Well, no. So 
initially when I started, I was buying too much stuff and I was realizing I can't keep all of this. So I started selling it. And that's yeah. when I'd already been doing that as a buyer for a company. I was a camera buyer. But mm-hmm. when I started buying them for myself, I realized I just couldn't keep them all. So I started selling them through the channels that I already knew Yeah, from working as a buyer. And I realized I could kind of do this myself as a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the danger because initially I was like, every camera I bought, I just wanted to keep and I couldn't. You know? yeah. And yeah. at one point my collection was ridiculous. You know, loads and loads and loads of stuff. But very, very early on, I bought what I considered my grail camera mm. and kept it and yeah. sold pretty much everything else off. Mm. And it's always been that way. Um, I do still have some items which are of uh, important uh, personal relevance to me. Either mm. they're gifts or they're particularly uh, you know, old or they belong to a family member. Mm. Um, but I, I really only have one or two. No, I have two cameras at the moment. I have a cam- uh, Konica Gemba Kantoku. Um, as a portable, you know, I don't even, I haven't even, I don't even know what that is. What is that? It's a workman's camera. So it's like this old film camera that is just bulletproof. You can drop it, you can soak it, you can beat it and it still keep on working. And it's brilliant because I have kids. Yeah. Um, and I have my, um, my Leica MP6, which is the camera I bought as my grail camera. And yeah, that's it. That's, that's that. I don't need anything else. Yeah. So I mean that that became because I realized very early on if I keep on doing if I keep on buying these things I'm going to either bankrupt myself or or you know it's it gets a bit silly it gets a bit out of hand. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair and, enough. And also I'm very fortunate. I get to handle the most beautiful cameras in the world. So I mean you went to the right place. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do you yeah. reckon you could do this job and build this uh build this business in any other country in the world? Um yes, but you would have to frequently visit Japan. Yeah. And I do mean frequently. Um mm-hmm. I know others who've done similar things. Mm-hmm. Um they would be in Japan every month. Yeah. Every month. Yeah. You know, there's just no way you, because you, it's such an, a pivotal part of the market. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you are in a position like somebody like Dan Tamarkin, who Tamarkin's auctions in the U S he's, he's a brilliant guy. He's a total nerd. I mean, I met him. We both just sparks flew. It was brilliant. You know, we both <laughs> just geeked hard, uh, but he's in a position um, he's very well known. His family are well known for what they do for, for, for selling Leica and selling rare cameras. So the cameras come to him, mm. you, but it's very rare for somebody to be in a position where the cameras come to you. Usually mm. you have to go to them. What's something that you think you do particularly well? Uh, particularly well, um, I don't think I do anything particularly well. <laughs> um, 
there's that always that crisis of confidence that you think you're not very good at what you do. Mm. Um, so I'm still learning about what I do. And some people have, you know, call me and say, Oh, you're such a fountain of knowledge. And I'm like, I don't know anything. I'm still, <laughs> beginning, you know, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm very good at knocking myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. um I, I think I, I'm very good at, taking the care to make sure somebody gets exactly what they want. Um, I think I'm pretty good at that. Mm. I think I'm pretty good at uh, find, building relationships in Japan and finding the right things. I'm, I'm pretty good at that, I guess. Mm. Um, I must be because it's worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I That's okay. Um, yeah, so uh, I I think some people might say I'm good at marketing. I don't believe I am. Um, I think I'm just – I'm good at being excited about things that other people find boring. Yeah. I would say that you're good at loving cameras. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And, you know, I don't think that, that – uh, because it's, it's the thing about – there is that thing of, of camera fandom and, and that getting in the way of photography. And yeah. oh, I sure. think, yeah. And I think that there's whilst, whilst we can, um, I think that there's circles that it's, that you have to be aware of that. It's like, you know, yeah. I mean, if you want to be a professional photographer, like learn what you need to know and don't like faffa back gear all the time, like a hundred percent. But you, can, but that doesn't mean you can't not yeah. also faffa back gear. Like it's you great. Like it's fine. The things you yeah. like, yeah. You still enjoy other things. You don't have to be stuck to one thing. Then it's not I a mutually exclusive. I yeah. love photography. Yeah, you don't have to be mutually exclusive. I, 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 you know, know that they're different things, and yeah. You know, because yes, they're related to one another, but they are different things. You know, um, and I actually like uh, telling people a lot that um, photography happens without cameras. That's my little thing that I I try and tell people when they, you know, when we're having conversations about what we do, and I say, well, photography happens without cameras. Cameras, cameras are just the method, mm. the device that we use to share the photograph because we see the photograph in our head. Yeah. Yeah. So photographs are made in your brain right? other factors that come into it yeah i mean yeah for me it's just photography uh and and that's another thing that's another part of the reason why i keep it kind of away from people because it's uh i don't want to sort of dissolve that passion for it because mm. i found myself becoming dangerously close when i did it as a job mm. i did photography as a job didn't like that mm. you know Mm. Yeah, because it took, I was being told, you know, you must take pictures of this. You must take pictures of that. I don't want to take pictures of that. <laughs> you know, um, the same as when I was told when I was making jewelry, you need to make a hundred of these. And I don't want to make those. I'll quit. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas if somebody now says to me, I need you to find a hundred lenses. Yeah. Game on. That sounds like fun. Has that happened before? A hundred? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I found lenses and cameras for movie studios and all sorts. So, yeah, they need a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, is there a, I mean, you know, if it's particularly crazy, 
maybe there's an NDA on it or something, but like, yeah. what's one of the craziest things that you've had to find that you can talk to, talk to me about, talk to us about? Uh, the craziest, the several of the craziest I'm not allowed to talk to you about. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was sent to the Philippines to find a very rare Leica Elkan lens, which I did, which was scary. Um, you know, because it was in this, you know, hotel in this shady area. And I felt like, wow, what is going on here? And they turned up with a police escort and all sorts of things. And, um, wow. yeah, that was a how do you even, experience. Uh, how do you even find out about something like that? Like it's just this you. other level. They contact yeah. you. Um, I've traveled all over the world to find very rare things, which I've done. Um, yeah the the fred elton camera and the sean flynn and things like that uh i think some of the the coolest have been and this is what so people look at the Leica and they're like oh the Leica is the rare the Leica is the special and actually for me i found a series of very rare um ultra wide fisheye nikkor lenses Mm. um of which only you know into the less than a hundred have been produced, you know, and I found those in Japan. I didn't have to travel far for them. I located them. And for me personally, that was really exciting. Hmm. Um, and if I tell, if I tell any other group of camera geeks, like I found these fisheye nickels, they're like, <laughs> so what? Yeah. I tell a member of the Nikon historical society and they're like, Oh my God, which ones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they they yeah. lose it. Um, yeah. So that's like super niche stuff. But that's yeah. what really sort of gets me going, pumps me up. Finding stuff like that, um, finding cameras which have got a history, a provenance, a story. They've always, mm. and it, it's not always about the value. You know, it, it can in many cases just be about the story behind the camera itself. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's been there's been a lot, and there'll be more. I'm sure. I hope. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I hope so too. I think that's a really good place to to tie this off. Um, yeah. I'll put everything in the show notes because I know how to find you, but tell the wonderful people of the internet that listen to this podcast, where can people find you? Yeah, so um, they can find me uh, through the website, which is japancamerahunter.com and uh, Twitter, Japan Camera Hunter, Instagram, Japan Camera Hunter, YouTube. Um, yeah, pretty much that's so much stuff. No parlor, no thanks. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, and and here we go, the first parlor reference on this podcast. Thank you so much, Billy. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, all, all the usual channels. So, um, you can find me there. You can contact me on the contact page on my website directly, and it will be me that replies. I love that. I think that that's probably something that a lot of people can take away from this um thank you so much for having a chat to me this morning i'll put all those links in the show notes and honestly if you need a camera and it's not some crazy 50 million megapixel digital computer um, and you want something that is cool and personal honestly like and i'm not just saying this because he's paid me because he hasn't like this is the guy um thank you so much and um guys I'll put all my notes in the show notes, but until next episode, see you later. Thank you.